Witness the last film from legendary director Orson Welles, The Other Side of the Wind. The story of a legendary director named J.J. Jake Hannaford, who returns to Hollywood from years of semi-exile in Europe with plans to complete work on his own innovative comeback movie, also titled The Other Side of the Wind. A cinematic event 40 years in the making, The Other Side of the Wind is now streaming only on Netflix, and if you like Orson Welles, or you're looking to discover Orson Welles, you should really check it out. Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And and we have a bunch of stuff to talk about this week, including a new fall movie that we've been anticipating or at least wondering how it came together that we can now finally talk about. That's the opening night film of AFI Fest on the basis of sex, RGB, the narrative version. version. So it's been quite a year for Supreme Court in the conversation. This was the, um, the Felicity Jones version, Mimi Leader's um, kind of, uh, you know, very old-fashioned approach to, uh, to telling the, the story. I wouldn't of say old-fashioned. I would say it's a straightforward, accessible, mainstream feature. It, and it's focused very specifically on the early part of her career when she was a student and when she was marrying uh, the guy played by Army Hammer and when she was doing his work for him when he was fighting cancer and raising the children and, and being shut out of uh, law firms and and all that. And I, I, I would say um, RBG is more in the news than ever after the hit documentary and now she's hurt herself she broke fell and broke some ribs so we're we're, we wish her the best she's yeah i mean but just to go back to the movie for a second when i say old-fashioned i mean it's beat by beat you kind of know what this movie is and where it's going and um that's sort of what i found to be disappointing about it is that it's is that because you already saw the documentary no, I, and honestly... What if people I, haven't seen the documentary and know nothing well, about her? How could it be possibly beat by... Let me, let me put it back. Because, because it's, it's, a, it's very clear. There, there are many moments throughout this movie where it is telegraphing exactly where it's going. That you see this woman, and, and it's, it's a tough thing for me to both voice my disappointment with it and also appreciate the narrative that, it, that it's telling, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, to see this woman going to Harvard Law School and having to deal with, you know, a, a class that's mostly men and a dean played by Sam Watterson who treats her like crap and puts her on the spot to explain why she took a man's slot. You know, all of those, all of that stuff is it's an important part of the story, but the way that it unfolds just felt kind of dull to me. Like the, the, she sits down at the, on the first day of class and she looks around and she sees a woman here, a woman there. And it's just like beat by beat. It just kind of felt like it was telling you exactly what you should think and what you should feel. There was no nuance to it. I saw the uh, trailer and I responded to the trailer a little bit the way you're responding to the movie. But my experience of the movie was to become caught up in her story and to feel outrage and to be upset by how she was treated and to actually be brought to tears several times over the course of the movie. And I think that there may be a difference in the way that you um, respond to this movie if you're a woman or if you're a man or perhaps a woman of my generation. Now, I'm a lot younger, <laughs> a lot younger than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I God think everybody knows. is at this Thank point. Thank God. But at this point, I would say um, that uh, 
you know, when I was coming up in the world, uh, things, there was more sexism than there may be now. And it hasn't improved that much. But um, so I basically um, uh, was surprised at the emotional impact of the film on me. Um, so whatever Mimi Leader was doing in terms of turning the screws uh, emotionally, uh, I responded. But didn't you um, think the movie was sort of underwritten in a way? I mean, there, there's something about the romance that she has with Martin Ginsburg, you know, played by Army Hammer, who's fine, I guess. I mean, Felicity Jones, I think, has more to do in the movie, but the, their dynamic just felt so kind of obvious and, and just, uh, there was something ab about the way in which the dynamic plays out over the course of the movie where I, I just never felt that invested in the nature of what was going on. And it's not just because of the documentary, it's because of the world that we live in. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was an icon before she was the subject of a documentary. And I feel like the kind of the consequential value of the movie is that you know how it ends and it never seems to wrestle free of that aspect of it. I do think that there are going to be a lot of people who see this movie who don't know all of this about her, about her early career and about the cases that, you know, the ways that she was shut out of law firms, although she was at the top of her Harvard class or the way that she actually went to a different college in order to support her husband or um, the, the degree. I mean, I know that Sam Waterston is playing a bit of a cardboard villain, but I, in real life, he probably, Probably was very much like that, and in you know I know that Army Hammer seems too good to be true, but in real life Martin Ginsburg was too good to be true, and it, you know he really helped and supported and and made it possible for his wife to succeed, and and made that his life's mission, and I feel um, moved by that. And, and there's a part of me that wishes that I could have had a husband like Martin Ginsburg, you know? I, mean, I guess that's sort of, that's the mythology of it all, too. I mean... It was real, though. Why do you say that it's the mythology? I mean, I mean, the movie is a Hollywood movie. Let's not make any bones about that. This is the Hollywood movie version. It's glossy. It's straightforward. It is it not groundbreaking. Made. Or you're you know what you sound like. You sound like me. It's you sound like you're wishing to have seen the indie version. It of could movie. have been made thirty years ago, and it would have been the same movie. I think I just kind of felt. Well, like that's true. That's probably true. Almost too innocent about the storytelling approach, and it made me very uncomfortable in a way because it was like, do is this kind of very naive? telling of the, the happy ending of the Ruth Bader Ginsburg story really relevant in a world where, you know, this woman is one of, our, one of the last people kind of guarding our democracy in the highest court of the country. I mean, I, I wanted to, to feel that a little bit more. And instead, I felt like it felt a little bit like... Well, we all know that's the part we know. We know that's where she ends up. This is just the story that, t that tells us how she got there. And actually, I have to tell you, they get into the, the nitty-gritty of, of the law that she was fighting and the arguments that she was making in the Supreme Court. Um, you know, these, the, this very important law. They spend a lot of time on it in terms of her fighting for women's equality. And 
and and she won, and she 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 actually made a big difference in the way that these laws are are changed now. And I think I think it's it's sort of yes, there's a quality of of the oh she melted the hearts of the judges, you know, who who came around to her side, and she won. You know, there there's a quality of that to the movie. I get I get what you're responding to, but I think this is going to work with audiences. I think this is one of those cases where I'm defending the straightforward um, turn the screws and make the screws effective approach to the story uh, that will work with audiences. I'd like to see it do well at the box office. I'd like to see lots of people see the movie. I think that's the most important thing here. I'm curious to see if that's, if that's how it translates. I mean, I know that there not are... Not if a lot of critics put it down. Yeah, I, I, I know that it's, it's, not, it's certainly not a critic movie that, that sort of... No, this is not the movie that you guys are going to go running to to give uh, awards to at the end of the year. I see that. It's a mainstream movie. It is an open question, too. I mean, do do audiences want to go see the happy ending version of the Supreme Court story, considering everything we've been through? That Even if it was a masterpiece, I mean, would that be something people actually want to buy a ticket to go see? Or are they sort of Supreme Court courted out, as it were? I would hope yeah. not. I think, that, I think women will respond to this more than men. I actually believe that. I, 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 I don't. You know, if you're, if you're any, I know what you're. I know what quality you're looking for. And I would also say this is not an, an Oscar movie. This isn't a movie that maybe Leader is going to get nominated for, or Felicity Jones, or or Army Hammer. It's a good movie. It's a solid movie. It's a it's a B plus, A minus. Mm. I think you're being too generous. I understand. I understand where the impulse comes from. I want a movie like this to succeed too. I don't have any any personal vendetta against it. I just I'm just underwhelmed with the execution, you know. And I, I do think the documentary is better. You know, people, I, I, you know, thinking it through more and more doesn't make a difference which one you see first in terms of how you absorb the narrative. But I think the documentary is more successful at, at giving you that narrative. Here. This is going to be an interesting test. I mean, what, what we learned from the documentary more than I knew before I saw it um, is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a star. She's actually a huge, iconic character in our world. And oh, yeah. people respond to her really strongly. Um, and I interviewed some of the people from CNN who were behind the documentary and they were just going on about, you know, all the merchandise and the, and the different ways that she's, you know, she went up to Sundance and people were lining up around the block. So maybe what we're going to see is if this, if, if this is a test of her stardom, you know, are people willing to go see a fiction film about her too? Less about Felicity Jones' star power and more about RGBs. I don't think Felicity Jones has any star power. Oh, yeah, unfortunately, Solo didn't quite pan out that well. Well, she's, she's a good actress, but I don't think she's... A, I mean, this is a, another conversation. I was having this with someone else about someone else. You know, how many movie... Uh, oh, it was about... All right. It was about Elizabeth... It was about the character Elizabeth Salander, um, who's been played by three different actresses at this point. Uh, started out with Nomi Rapace, uh, went on to um, uh, Rooney Mara in the David Fincher version, which was so expensive that they threw it out and um, would you know start it over again. And this is the most commercial, quote unquote, version um, with uh, the Queen from The Crown, um, Claire Foy, in in the role. 
And it's the least successful, predictably, the most watered down. It's also the book that wasn't written by the original writer, but by someone else. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it, you end up uh, with, with the watered down version of something instead of the real thing. And, and you don't have a movie star who can carry the movie. And very few people are movie stars anymore. It doesn't yeah, even happen. Brand. I mean, you could argue that the, with the RGB thing, it's like RGB... It's a person, but it's also RGB is a brand. Is a brand, and Elizabeth Slander is a brand, and whether that brand is still viable is open to debate because the movie is predicted to open very poorly this weekend. Yeah, and it didn't get good reviews either. I have not seen it yet. I'll I'll be totally frank with you. I've had other things to deal with. One of which is preparing for Doc NYC, which started in New York this week. I went to uh, their big opening lunch, which is always a kind of a, an entertaining affair because it's a fancy kind of uh, sit-down thing at the Edison Ballroom, but it's all these, you know, funky documentary documentary people. So, you know, you, you get this kind of dissonance where it's like everybody's kind of amused to be there in the first place, and Tom Powers MCs the whole thing and, and cracks jokes that don't always go over super well. <laughs> Remember, we've talked about Tom Powers before, the, the documentary czar who carries a great deal of power in real life because he, he programs this festival and Toronto and um, creates this short list of, of 15 docs that are all playing at Doc NYC that he thinks could be the Oscar shortlist, which it won't be. It never is exactly the same, but there's usually some overlap. And so this uh, this lunch was funny because they gave out a bunch of different awards to, to various luminaries of the documentary film community, like Tabitha Jackson from the Sundance Institute. But um, Tom made some joke up front where he was like, uh, we hope that this lunch will be long enough for everyone to give their speeches, but not as long as a Steve James movie. Wow. <laughs> And everybody booed. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. It was like, that was a miscalculation. Yeah. It, it, well, the funny thing is that like, Steve came up later to present an award to Shiver Saheli and Jimmy Chin, the co-directors of Free Solo, who got this kind of mid-career award, and, and he got his, his revenge on Tom. So it's, a, it's sort of like balanced out, but it's just like a funny, it's a funny thing to be in a room with people like that because, you know, they protect their own and there is this real set, almost like a clubby quality to it. And that has a tremendous amount of impact on how documentaries are surviving today, how the documentary Oscar race turns out. And just seeing that up close is always kind of fascinating, the whole ecosystem of it. I happen to be sitting at the free solo table with Alex Hunnell, the, the subject of, of free solo. Who you've written about. A, yeah. I've met him a few times now and, and he's total outsider in the scene, the only person he recognized in the crowd was Michael Moore. <laughs> the celebrity. Moore. Yeah. 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 And uh, and they gave their last prize of the lunch to Vim Vendors. So Vim Vendors was there and everyone kept saying in their own speeches, you know, what an honor it is to be here with Vim Vendors. Eventually Alex turned to me, he was like, why do they keep thanking the vendors? <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, I know I've met him too. I think that's hilarious. The yeah, other thing, good. by the way, is the AFI Fest, um, which starts out with On the Basis of Sex, which of course is the surviving film festival in Los Angeles, given that the LAFF went down in flames as we sort of predicted over, given how poorly it has been doing over the past few years. Um, while the LAFF had been sort of championing um, diversity over the past few years, um, 
the AFI really leaned into it in a big way without knowing that's what they were starting to do at the beginning. And you have, um, on the basis of sex, of course, Mimi Leader. Then you have The Closing Night, Mary Queen of Scots from Josie Rourke. You've got um, uh, a, a lot of the foreign uh, nominees, uh, like Capernaum, uh, which is directed by uh, Nadine Labaki. And there's this whole legacy program with films from Chantal Ackerman and Nina Menke's old, old movies that are being brought back. Um, there's this movie called Dead Pigs from Kathy Yan, who uh, is is it's a thing it's a movie about Chinese pig farms and she's already signed up to do DC Comics Bird of Prey with Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Um, you've got the Kenya movie uh, Rafiki um, and uh, movies from Mia Hansen Love and Naomi Kawase and and you've got uh, other things that have nothing to you know women oriented movies like Roma which from Alfonso Cuarón. Um, and the favorite with the three great actresses duking it out for power and widows, the Steve McQueen movie. And, and then, um, you know, there's other stuff going on like, um, Fox Lux, the Natalie Portman movie, uh, that you love more than me. <laughs> it's a movie I keep thinking about and I can't wait to see again. And I love that kind of experience even more than a movie that's a hundred percent, you know, holding together at every given moment. That nobody's seen, which, which is Bird, oh, Box. Bird Box, right? Well, I'm going to see that tomorrow night. Yeah, so that's sort of another kind of open question. That's a big. That's sort of the big world premiere that nobody's seen. Um, and Netflix has a few things besides Roma. They've got the Kaminsky Method and the Buster Scruggs movie from the Coen Brothers as well. Um, so that's that's what's going on at uh, AFI Fest, which is a good festival, a good, solid, strong festival like- that has been well handled. You know, Jacqueline Lianga did a good job before, and the people who are still there, and Michael Lumpkin, the new director, seem to be putting a strong program together. Well, it's the best thing you guys got right now. I mean, it's, it's an interesting moment in L.A. film culture in the sense that over the past year, you lost Cinefamily and Los Angeles Film Festival and probably forgetting something else, but it feels like I, I'm, I'm not trying to be too judgy from my New York ivory tower, but it feels like there is a, like a, an opening or a gap on some level where you could use more like AFI Fest is absorbing. Well, there's, if, AFI Fest is a good, strong festival. Um, and what we do have in New York, I mean, I wish uh, what we do have in LA is, is we have, you know, the Cinematheque and we have the, the, the which is two theaters and we have the uh, um, LA County Museum, which has some programming and the UCLA Film Archive, which has some programming. I mean, there's stuff going on around the, the city. It isn't like we're a, a, a desert or wasteland or anything along with all the stuff that we would have from the various uh, landmarks and Lemleys of the world. Right. So it is sort of just a, a, an interesting moment though, because you also have like just this, this festival that is just the, the program is incredibly rich and it gives you a, a really interesting window into all these different kinds of films that are being made, but it's so different from, you know, the Hollywood film scene. So I'll be curious to see how, if the AFI, programming, you know, the kind of homecoming for a lot of these movies in L.A. has an impact uh, on the kind of talent that shows up for these screenings, right? I mean, you know, 
big names coming well, out. Well, we the reason the AFI Fest um, is so interesting is because they've got a combo. We, this is why it was so foolish of the LAFF to go into the fall because they didn't get any of this stuff. They yeah. didn't get any of it. Yeah. It's all in. It's all at the AFI. Is is these big these big movies that are that weren't ready for the fall or what, did didn't want to go during that prime time and and chose to go closer because November is the big uh, corridor for uh, you know green. Book is showing there too. Uh, you know, it's it's the big corridor for the big Oscar films, and yeah. arguably a lot of the biggest ones are are coming this month. Um, and and we shall, you know, we've got the moved up dates for for Roma, um, and so this move this festival is the launch pad for for the real uh, kind of hit hit the ground uh, Academy movies. Um, yeah, as well, it I mean, gets into last year prime time. Mudbound had launched at Sundance, but it wasn't. It didn't have distribution then. And then it came. It opened AFI Fest, even though it had already played in all these other places, including New York. Film yeah, Festival. that was great. And I thought they were really wonderful. Did I thought Jacqueline was really? It was a great. She helped. She helped yeah, she that movie get those four Oscar nominations yeah. just by booking it like yeah. that. So there is like an interesting open question now about about how AFI Fest could have that impact this year with. A number of films that are screening at the festival. Well, it's they're they're taking advantage of it. I mean, there are a lot of uh, a lot of people in town who are going to do panels and talks. Nicole Kidman is doing a talk, and and she's there with Destroyer, which has obviously got some hopes. Um, so she's going to be in town. I'm going to talk to her while she's in town, which I'm looking forward to. And Karen Kusama, um, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people showing up for these things to do to do public events and 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 talk to talk to the folks uh it's, it's, it's just your but this is normal this is right. no, not it's more than usual. usual yep so thank god this festival is happening after the midterm elections because i think if it started on monday or tuesday nobody would want to be sitting through a movie given the kind of anxiety that was in the air where did you watch the the returns it was funny we were actually having my book group that night we were reading this book did, called did you guys yeah, changing the channel to check. check no, we started out during the during the uh, sort of during the the appetizer portion of the evening. We were watching the you know uh, MSNBC, and then we moved over and had our dinner and talked and argued and did our thing, and then we went back and watched it some more. And I ended up watching it at home on CNN. I I was fascinated uh, by how the whole thing played out, and and very gratified that that the Democrats did so well. And the one movie that's coming out um, uh, that tried to sort of ride uh, the the uh, election year bandwagon, if you like, was was Jason Reitman, who's always been fascinated by politics, the front runner. And yet I don't think he quite succeeded in, in tapping into that energy because this movie, which is about Gary Hart back in 1987, as he was trying to grab the 1988 presidency and looked like he was ahead at, at, at a certain point, he was dive bombed because of of the new uh, newspaper reporter ethos that they could expose his personal life in a way that, that they just hadn't in the past. He seemed so tame. He seemed so quiet and and proper <laughs> compared to the world we live in now. I just don't think people are relating to well, this. Well, that's story. sort of the issue I had to, to bring this full circle was on the basis of sex. I mean, it's just that. There, there are certain kinds of as, as stories about the uh, political climate that just 
you know, at one point were important cautionary tales or 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 survival tales in in the, in the you know sort of complex political ecosystem of the moment, and now they just seem sort of quaint because of the the daily battles for for civil liberties and all kinds of other things that are happening. You know, and and we're reading about in the news every day. So it is. So it is kind of. Uh, it's it's interesting. It feels I, quaint. Is I the think, is the uh, word. You know thing, yeah, I mean, the other thing about the front runner that that's kind of interesting is that it, you know, it's kind of hard to tell whose side it's on. Like it, it, it doesn't say. I mean, that's the problem yeah. with the movie. I think is that he doesn't take a. He's Jason Ryman argues, and I did write a story about this this week. Uh, if anyone's interested, but uh, uh, he and Joe Jackman both argue uh, that 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 there's no, you know, that they they're raising lots of questions that they don't have the answers to, and that's the what they wanted to do with this movie that's told from multiple points of view. But I I just think that's a problem. The thing is, the movie is actually relatively. Fun to watch. Like it is. It's like well made. These thriller, lots of you know long takes, and it's it's very elegantly art directed with good music cues. And you know, if you don't know a ton about the Gary Hart story, it certainly consolidates a lot of that from a number of different perspectives. It's not just about him. It's about how, say, the women on the campaign suddenly had to deal with this BS of like talking to the woman he was having an affair with, and how they dealt with that challenge. And, so there, there, there's a lot of stuff that it touches on, and you can see the glimmers of potential there. It's just not – it doesn't come down hard enough. I mean, I remember why I was so riveted by Primary Colors was, was because it was like – it really – it took a side on the issue. It made it, – it, you know, the, the Clinton-esque character that John Travolta plays in that movie is not a good person. You know, it doesn't pretend otherwise, no matter what you feel about his politics. And I think that's sort of what this movie is, is almost afraid to do, is to really come down one way or another and what happened here. On the other hand, when I saw it at Telluride, um, uh, as I was walking through the parking lot, there were people arguing vehemently about the movie. And, you know, it was basically what you would expect. The men were saying, well, he would have been a good president if this hadn't happened. And the women were saying, yeah, but we need transparency. We need to know what what somebody has done and what they're like. And and it matters what kind of character they have. And so that that debate was really engaging and and, and vehement. I, right. I was, you know, so if I, you would think it would be possible for audiences if they actually went to see this to have that argument, but um, it doesn't seem that there's that much interest. No, it's and, and it's also, it's just, I think there's this broader conundrum right now where it's almost like the Great Depression, how everybody went to go see rom-coms. Like, we, we, people want escapism on some level. Like, they want to see movies that are transportive, not movies that are, you know, reminding them of, you know, not great things in American society. And, uh, I mean, the, the specialty market is a totally different story. But when you're talking about, like, a, a mainstream commercial movie, th- these are not the stories that the masses flock to, you know. And, I mean, that's, that's a challenge that movies in general are, are having to struggle with, which is what, what does it take to get someone's attention? Because they're not going to go see Girl in the Spider's Web. So, like, what are they seeing? They're seeing Star is Born for the gazillionth time. Because there's a movie that everybody can agree, like, you know, makes you feel kind of good it's a little upsetting in parts but it's it's accessible and it doesn't it doesn't leave you you know arguing about you know what's right or wrong in american society or whatever so you can have a nice time out on a saturday and and not complain about it 
So no, it has it has love in it. It has true true love. But we we will and great music. Um, we will uh, check in next week and and see. We've got some new movies coming. Yeah, a lot of uh, stuff. A lot of stuff for us. A lot of stuff coming down the pike. Yeah, Fantastic Beasts. We've got. Widows opening, we got Ad Eternity's Gate opening, so plenty of things for us to argue through as we continue to make our way towards the end of the year. And Thanksgiving's right around the corner, so we can talk about that soon as well. In any case, enjoy AFI Fest and uh, we'll report. You enjoy Doc NYC. Oh, the other thing we didn't talk about was Amazing Story, um, Amazing Grace, which is the Aretha Franklin movie that's the surprise entry at Doc Uh, NYC. We saw that a while ago, so I'm going to try to go see that here in, in New it's York. really great. Well, first of all, it's it's the most successful album that she ever ever released. It was double platinum, and it sold like two million copies. and And it was 1972. And Sidney Pollack, the great filmmaker, actually shot this thing, and then it got shelved because it was incredibly uh, hard to sync up these different 16 millimeter cameras that he was shooting with four of them, and so the sound got all messed up. And it took technology to save the day. And then it took Aretha Franklin to die, unfortunately. She was very attached to this material and she wanted to be in control of it. And uh, so they could never come to terms on how to release the movie. So she finally, her estate is going forward with it and they're entering it in the Oscar race. So if you're in New York, you have the opportunity to see this movie at Doc NYC. I'm going to work on it and and let you know. You thought uh, the other side of the wind was the great... uh, sort of past movie making a sudden entry and dive mobbing the Oscar race and then Aretha Franklin one-ups Orson Welles it's kind of world there you go <laughs> well, I'll let All you right, know talk what I to think. you next week Eric have a good one